and you're going to be faithful to complete what you've begun. So we just thank you for that, Lord. You are a good, good father, Lord, and you said um, that you desire to give us, your children, the kingdom. And how much more will you give us the Holy Spirit if we just ask that heart transplant, Lord? So uh, fill us, free us, use us, and give us ears to hear what you would have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians, which we started last time I was up here. We did chapter 1. We made it through a whole chapter. <laughs> Plan on doing chapter 2 tonight. And again, quick recap. Um, Paul had written a letter prior, which he makes reference to. It's just not part of our canon, so our scriptures. Um, but he had written to them previously and he mentioned a few things. Uh, people have made comments to him. He's heard things. He's had letters written to him. He's met people, and he's addressing some issues. First Corinthians, he clearly talks to them that they are children of God, and it's good to, recompass, to go over that again to realize that he's talking to believers. And uh, I think it's also true that sometimes you find things as Paul or Peter or Luke or anyone as they're writing the scriptures or any time a pastor's teaching, we're preaching to the church. However, we don't know every single person's heart. There might be unbelievers there. So sometimes I think you might read a portion of scripture that he's reading to the church, but this was to be read in a public setting. So just to take that in mind also, uh, who the audience is. And with that in mind, I'd like to read through the chapter quickly. It's safe for me because if I just read the whole chapter and then come back and talk, teach on it, then I've at least, I know I covered the chapter. I can go to chapter three next time um, to cover everything. But in context, to take it all in, I think it's good to read larger portions. Your own devotional reading, you know, sometimes I might read small portions. You could read one verse and meditate on it and get something out of it. And sometimes the Lord might have you cover a larger area just to be able to keep things in context. It's dangerous to pull quotes out. Um, as one of my favorite teachers says, if you torture the Bible long enough, you can get it to confess to anything. So you can take something out of context and read it and think it says something when it doesn't. And uh, just to go through, so look at the pronouns. And again, everything in the Bible matters. We know verb tense matters. Jesus had whole doctrines on a verb tense. I am not, I didn't say I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God in the burning bush said, I am speaking on the resurrection. Everything matters. Looking back at portions of scripture, I'm often amazed thinking about what something says, hearing people teach on it, and you go back and look at it, how few words he needs. Every single word, everything is important, and he's so good at talking, the Lord. And uh, it, it should cause us to desire to talk better. We're going to be talking and reading through James about the tongue later. Always my favorite, because <laughs> it hurts. Cut me good, Lord. Uh, chapter 2, again, I'll be reading the first five verses, and just look at the pronouns, Paul speaking. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, 
and in much trembling, in my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, and that's going to, I think, be the key to this chapter, human wisdom, but in contradiction to that, in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I think those two verses will sum up the doctrine that he's correcting in the first four chapters. And then he switches from I in verse 6. 1 Corinthians two, or chapter 2, verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Verse 11, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And just looking back at that, obviously, I, brethren, we know Paul wrote this letter. He told us that in chapter 1. And we should rightly ask, starting in verse 6, who is this we? Who's Paul talking about? Obviously, oftentimes when he writes, uh, he writes who's actually penning the letter, which he does here too also. Um, Sosthenes, we believe, was the one that penned this for Paul. Um, but I believe there's something greater than that. So he, again, we had started at the end of chapter 1 to discuss one of the issues that they were having there. And we know at Chloe's house, um, it tells us in verse 1, chapter 10, just to back up and try to get this picture again, uh, Paul's teaching on division. And I think when he's talking about the I, he's teaching about what he's saying. And I think the we, I'll just ruin my whole, punch, my whole point right now. Um, Apollos, Peter, and Paul have no problem with each other. People heard each of them speak, and they were carnal, and they were divided because of that. So you can have people and have divisions amongst bodies of churches or different churches or denominations. And that doesn't mean the people that started them or the people that are listening or teaching have a problem with each other. They might mesh fine. But there's people that come in that aren't spiritual, that are thinking like natural men, 
even believers that aren't mature, and instead of going to the scriptures and the Holy Spirit teaching them, and isn't that amazing? We already talked about that. Think about that. Who is in you? The author of the Bible dwells in you if you're a believer. I mean, we could just say that and pray and cry and walk away. <laughs> God is in you. We'll get to that, I think, later on as we go through this more. But it says in verse 10, so there's divisions that are happening. There's people there that are evidently encouraging the division. And he's basically saying, we, I think, you can take it as you deem or as the Lord shows you. But I think he's basically saying, none of us disagree with each other. Apollos was this great orator. We know that by reading Acts and the rest of the New Testament. He came in, and he was not speaking completely, fully. He didn't even know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he was here. And it said that he taught as his understanding was. Paul came in, or the people came in and taught him more fully the way of God. And then Paul comes along in his tales, and everything added together, and it all created a beautiful picture. Yet people, not understanding, took parts of what they were saying, and they said, well, I like the way he teaches. Well, I like the way he teaches, and it, just, it caused this division. And I believe the first four chapters are all about this division that was there. And Paul spends a lot of real estate in the Bible talking, or God allows a lot of real estate in the Bible talking about this division. Um, it says in chapter 1, verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, I plead with you, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now this I, I, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? The obvious answer is Christ is not divided. These things shouldn't be causing a division. And thank God for the diversity that there is. First of all, there's different visions that churches have. Some churches are more evangelical. Some are more bodybuilding. Everyone has a different gift. We're not all of the same thing. The, the, a foot, a hand, and eye. Paul uses that illustration of the body. That doesn't make a part wrong. It just makes it different. As long as it's being governed and directed by God for Christ's glory, we should be praising him for it. Yet it's kind of funny. I've also heard people, pastors, teach that the church is the only organism that kills its wounded. Sometimes we see people that are hurting and uh, are different, and we go about, and unfortunately, a lot of times, if you have a doctrinal issue and you want to be proven right, that you can't find an unbeliever that even wants to hear anything about God, so you end up finding a church that's willing to listen to. And a lot of times when we come in to prove a point because of pride, we can sit there and say and demand, and doctrine is important, and you should be swayed in your own mind what you believe and why you believe it. But not many of them should be causing division. There's no reason you can't fellowship if you're both saved. God doesn't have a problem with himself. The same Holy Spirit in me is in you, and he gets along with himself fine. I believe that's the we. If we were to, we know that there was contentions there. If you were to chip, turn over. So he's addressing divisions in chapter one. That's, that's quite clear. If you would flip over to Chapter 3, real quick. 1 Corinthians 3, 1. 
talking about divisions, I believe this shows, since he's still talking about it in three, that's what chapter two is about. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So he calls them carnal. Carnal means not spiritual. It's natural man. But he's not basically saying you're not saved because he calls them babes in Christ. They're just immature. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Isn't what, that what the natural man does? For one says, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? He's still talking about this division over people and who they seem to follow after. I believe chapter 2 is an extension of it. And with that in mind, I think it, it helps us to understand what chapter 2 is actually saying. First uh, Corinthians 4, verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively, so whatever he was speaking about in between, transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So he's saying, Apollos and I are on the same page. Some people act like they know something. And isn't it it's crazy? I can, I'm still that way, especially teaching. There's a tendency to want to sound at least intelligent, if not to have something to say that's spiritual. I mean, I'm called to teach. I'm supposed to be teaching, right? So it's, there's, you, can, you can see it, especially in some crazy Pentecostal on the air people, that they've got to come up with something new. And all of a sudden, they're trying to, they're like, where did they get that from? And it's, a, it's, a, it's an evil temptation. It comes from man. It's carnal. It's something that, not that has been given to me that I'm giving. It's something I think I have to come up with to create something new. There's nothing new under the sun. Trying to th- come up with something new is, is new under the sun. Paul says, I have no problem with Apollos. And when there's divisions, it's carnal. And then he had nothing nice to say about it. There is evil behind it, the flesh, and the flesh needs to be put down. They're puffed up. It's pride, he says. And then it goes on in verse, skipping down to verse 14, same chapter 4. I do not write these things to shame you. I don't want to just scold you. So these, some people are actually doing the deceiving or trying to become something that they're not, and other people are buying into it. But as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. Some people want to tell you what they know. Some people just want to tell you what you need to hear because they care about you. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. So the problem is there were three people that everyone seemed to like, and they each had their favorite pastor, and they each had their favorite point, and they were picking out different people, and I'm following this guy, I like him better, well, I like him better, and it seemed to cause a division. So Paul's answer is, I know, I'll send Timothy, I'll send a fourth guy. It says in 17, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you. This should clear things up. Why would Timothy help? Why did Paul want to send Timothy, who is my beloved 
and faithful son in the Lord who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So it's not wrong that there's people there teaching. It's not long, not wrong that you like somebody. Not everybody receives things the same way. God has, you'll find somewhere you'll know when, when you're in the right spot. You should be looking for, Lord, what are you doing? It says in John that he leads the sheep in and out of pasture. He'll be the one that decides where you go. And when you're home, you usually know it or you will learn it. And, uh, and then once you get there, it doesn't mean it's going to be without trouble. It doesn't mean, as many have said, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll only ruin it because the problem might be me, not the church. And uh, people have problems and we all, we sin. We, but we have a good savior. We have a good, good father. And we're here to help one another, to lift them up. Find someone to be a dad to and find someone to be a son to or a daughter to. So in chapter 4, 14 to 21, it talks about the heart behind the motive for speaking. And uh, James 3, why do people teach? Why are people tempted? What comes out of our mouth? Tell that to kids in the kids' ministry all the time. He goes, you can tell me where you're at, but it says even a child will be known by his ways, by what comes, by the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. You can just sit down and talk with somebody for a while and find out where they're at. It's good to listen. Right, doesn't he tell us that we have two ears and one mouth, be slow to speak and quick to hear. But the tongue reveals our heart often. And uh, James 3, 1, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers. And I believe that was part of the problem. So there were people there that were teaching, and then there was people that was following them, and then there were people that with their natural mind were picking out the things that they liked about someone, and then they were drawing crowds and saying, no, this guy, did you hear him? And they were, by sitting there supposedly receiving being taught by the Spirit of God were then making a judgment in their mind and then instructing people on who was better. So the people then were drawing crowds after the, the instructors. He says, not let many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And that's not encouraging sometimes when things cut them out of my mouth. Well, oh, that slipped. Yeah, well, the rudders... <laughs> The pilot designed what came out. It just revealed, Lord, help. Verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil 
full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. And it doesn't have to be that way. God can tame the tongue, because what comes out of the mouth is stemmed from the heart. And if he changes your heart, if you're filled with God, then God will come out. Be filled with Jesus. Without him, this is all of us. This is each of us. I've mentioned it many times, and it kind of struck me years ago. First getting saved, looking up to people that have been saved a while, thinking, man, I can't wait to attain that. I can't wait till I get better. And the Bible never promises that we get better. Our flesh does not improve. That's why he said it must be put to death. You should be sinning less and repenting more. You should be looking better. You should be acting better. God should have more control over you. The end result is a more decent person here, but we have the same ability as anybody because our flesh never gets improved. It needs to be put to death. We learn to hate it eventually as God does. It killed his son. That's why he had to die. And I still remember a pastor here when I first came said, you have in you the potential to be as bad as any criminal ever except grace and opportunity. If it wasn't for grace and opportunity, you could be just as bad as the worst person that you can possibly think of. We're not, we don't become better than anybody. We become forgiven. Then we fall in love, and then God works through us, and we appear better, and then we will be made better. And sanctification is a process of God having more control over us, not of us becoming better people which is important to, to know. That's what the Bible says. Because when you fall, if you don't know that, then you'll be wondering what happened. And then you'll think God's upset with you because you thought it was you doing something to make him happy with you. And then it's harder to come back. God doesn't, God's not surprised. Before, he, he knew everything from before the foundations of the earth. So the moment that he decided to come to you and save you, he already knew what you were going to do after you were saved. His blood didn't cleanse the sins that you had before you were saved. He cleansed all your sins. And if he knew that that was going to happen, he still decided to save you. The enemy in your flesh, in pride, will keep you from him. Condemnation. God always says, come to me. Don't let anything get in between you and the love of God. Nothing will get in the way of his love for you. Don't you let anything get in. That's why Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. It's not that you have to do something good enough for him to love you. He, some people, why would God love me? Well, he doesn't love us because we're lovable. He loves us because he's loving it's all about him. It's not about us. He can't not love. To which I'm looking at a good friend of mine, thinking, Jesus right now could sit there and say, man, I love everybody here, but he could say that anywhere he went. <laughs> he always loves everybody. And you're included in that. I'm included in that. And that's something that we need to remind ourselves of. We were made in the similitude of God. James 3.10 says, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. They ought not to be so, and they don't need to be so. Verse 11, talking about the origin of this. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. The tongue. 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who gets this? 
who understands the difference between carnal things and spiritual things. This is, I think, what is being addressed and what's causing division. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Back in Corinthians. Envy and strife come up because of pride in our heart, which exhibits itself from the heart to others through our tongue. People were there not spiritually mature, wanting to be sensed as spiritual and making things true or stating things that were true to make themselves look good. And they used the teaching of others and they were actually dividing the body rather than, I don't think they understood possibly what they were doing. I don't think they hated God and were trying to. But just by being in the flesh, you're actually causing damage to the body of Christ. What you do here matters. And he just says, be filled with the Spirit and let him do what he wants to do. So 1 Corinthians 2, uh, we'll start in verse 6. But just again, it began with I, then it went to we. But in verses 9 to 16, some form of the word spirit is mentioned 10 times. God's making a point here. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. When I'm going to get deep in the things of God, I can do that with somebody that can grasp it. Sometimes if they can't get it, then what are you doing? You're just trying to sound intelligent. Let the Lord lead your conversation with people. And again, this Sunday morning, I remember Pastor Pastor Jeff, who are they talking to? And I know from Sunday school, a lot of times when I first started years ago in Sunday school, everyone would say, you have to teach to the youngest kid in the class, otherwise they're going to miss it, and everyone else will just have to get from there. But I'm thinking at the time it was Pastor Jeff. He's teaching to elders and people that aren't saved all at the same time. The room's full. <laughs> you can speak to everybody. You can say a simple truth, and it can mean different things to different people. And you can get deep, and a simple meaning will still come through. Paul says, we speak wisdom... And I think the we, again, is saying that we're not divided. Apollos and I are not divided. Peter and I have no problem with each other. Now, him and Peter did have a couple confrontations, but generally speaking, they were both filled with the Spirit and were on the same page. Peter went to the Jews, Paul went to the Gentiles, but they were teaching the same message. Different ministry, different uh, way that it looked publicly, but, but they, they weren't in disagreement with each other until... Peter showed up with an issue, and Paul's like, don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> he had to rebuke him to his face publicly. But to whom much is given, much is required, so it was necessary. We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age. And I think that's in contradiction to what some of the other people were doing. People use, again, it's going to say it here. 
if you were never saved and the Spirit of God never came inside of you, and you just sat there on an island, you were born on an island, and you're all alone, and all of a sudden a, a boat picks you up years later, and they say, hey, what were you doing? Oh, I was just sitting there thinking. Okay, well, what did you come up with? What's heaven like? You, what's heaven? It wouldn't, without God showing you something, how can you even think of it? And even in our own lives, now that we're saved, what gift do you have? Well, if he doesn't give it to you, you can't have it. Well, how do I use it? If he doesn't show you, you can't know. There's things that you cannot know. And it's okay. You weren't designed to know. It's not about us. He said, come to me and I will show you. The Spirit is going to come in and teach you. If he's not teaching you, and again, the the end state of a, a backslidden Christian, let's just say you get saved and you know all of this is true. And years later, you're sitting there and you want to come back. But if the Lord isn't doing something, what option do you have? I know it's real, but I don't have the power. I don't have him talking to me. I don't even know what to do, but I know I need to do something. Well, we've become religious. I'm going to go through emotions. And a lot of people, if you're not willing to repent from the last thing that God told you, and you know you need to do something, well, you're going to think on your own and try to figure it out. And it's, it's dangerous, and it's usually wrong. We can't figure it out. God never said, you're going to be able to figure it out. He just said, I'll show you, and I will explain it to you. Just like Rob going through the parables, he's like, they, they didn't understand them. He's like, well, ask me, I'll tell you. The author of the Bible is in you. I've not only been, again, I've shared this, I think, before. Uh, newly saved. Years ago, I just knew it was true. I was the youngest of five kids. All the kids were out of the house. Now it's just me and my parents. And we never went to church anymore. We had gone, I think I was in church as a, a Baptist church when I was like one or two or three. I don't remember it. I just remember being there once, but my memory's bad. It was always bad, and I was really bad. But I, I, and I, so I just knew about it. My parents had um, the prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, on my bedroom wall, and I would just sit there and lay at night and, and read it, and it would haunt me or encourage me. I memorized it. It's just there. Uh, and my sister and brother got saved, and they were only visiting sometimes, and they would talk about God. But I, I knew there was something that was real. But uh, in eighth grade, I think, I ended up asking my parents, how come we don't go to church? So we went to a Lutheran church, went through confirmation, not saved. Uh, actually, I had to take a confirmation test, and my Catholic friend who went to Catholic schools his whole life did it for me at home. I cheated on it. Don't tell God. <laughs> and uh, I passed, so evidently Catholic schools aren't that bad. <laughs> um, and I was just going through the motion, but I got baptized because we were supposed to. I didn't do it as an infant because we weren't there. Lutherans baptize infants. And years later, I get saved, 35 years old, sitting in that seat with my sister. And uh, we're here from the radio station listening to the radio. And God struck me and started going to a Lutheran church because I didn't know any better. And next thing you know, I get saved while I'm going there. And just the reading of the New Testament, I'm sitting there like, wow, this pastor got good all of a sudden. <laughs> all of a sudden, it's, all he was, I'm like, man, it's amazing how much better he got once I got saved. And then um, I started coming here and there, and then God just like, no, just come here. So now I'm, here I am in church, and uh, my sister and brother-in-law are here, and they're going to have a baptism. Brand new Christian, don't know anything. And uh, I, I've read the Bible, and now I'm just reading the Bible. I never... I think I completed one book in my whole life, 
And uh, then I got saved. I couldn't put the Bible down. I used to, my wife, not saved yet at the time, was driving her nuts because we had two kids at home. And I'm just, why are you always reading the Bible? Because I'm, like, I'm a young Christian and I need to, and I'm not being a good husband right now, but I need, I need this. And she needed me to need that. She just didn't know it yet. Um, so then I get saved, and I read the verse, one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And my sister and brother-in-law was like, hey, there's a baptism coming up. I'm going to get baptized. I'm like, well, I've already been baptized. They're like, yeah, me too, but I wasn't saved. Yeah, but it says one baptism. Manly wisdom. The Lord wasn't instructing me yet. And he's like, no, I don't think that's what it means. And he, he explained it to me. And it wasn't that I wanted to argue. It just didn't make sense. It wasn't clicking. Something was not there. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I just don't want to mess up. If God said only one baptism, that's what I'm going with. I'm, I'm going to go with what I know. And it, it, you're probably right. And I'm not arguing that you're wrong. I don't think I'm right. I just don't get it. I'm not going to do something if I don't get it. And weeks went on, and I'm still there. And then I remember uh, we were walking out in the parking lot, still talking about it. And I think it was a Sunday evening, and it was getting dark out, and Pastor Jeff was walking to his car, and my brother-in-law calls him over and says, Hey, I got a question for you. I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm getting busted to the pastor. And he tells him, what he wanted to do, he didn't say anything about me. He goes, I've been baptized as a kid. I wasn't even saved. And Jeff gave him a great answer. And it was the same answer my brother-in-law had given me. But it's, it just didn't click. So I'm like, I'm, no, I'm sure you're right. I'm just, I am not getting it. And then uh, out of nowhere, one day, all of a sudden, it just made sense. You're only baptized into one thing. So my understanding of it was wrong, but I was cautious. And if, if the Bible says if you do something thinking it's wrong, then it is sin to you. Because even though it wasn't wrong to be baptized a second time, in my heart I would have been thinking I'm rebelling against God. So I don't want to rebel against God. So I was going to be cautious and not do it until he showed me. And then it was just like the two on the road to Emmaus. He opened my understanding. It's like out of nowhere, all of a sudden it made sense to me. And I wish that would happen with the rest of the things I don't get yet. <laughs> but it's coming, and one day, if not before, we'll have him explain it to us, and it will make absolute perfect sense. The Bible study by the, the word of God himself. So we're going to see this spiritual understanding, God speaking to you, and it's the only thing that really matters. Uh, verse 6, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages, for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. If you're trying to figure God out, you can't see it, you can't hear it, and you can't even think of it apart from him. He didn't put us here to figure it out. He didn't say, if you'd think harder, or if you just try harder, or I, or I hope he gets it. I don't know, what if he doesn't get it? Then I'm, God's not up there praying for us to have understanding. He says, but God has revealed them to us. So it's not that they can't be known. It's just that you can't figure it out with your own mind. God has, past tense, revealed them to us through his spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, 
the deep things of God. And I believe this is the thing that they were doing, causing divisions. There were people there teaching spiritual things spiritually. People were listening and were under, not understanding it spiritually, like I took that verse out of context, not understanding it, except rather than just admitting I'm probably wrong and the senior pastor might know the Bible a little bit better than I do. I knew he was right. I just wasn't going to blatantly, blindly follow something. I'm just going to beg God to show me. You need to show me. And I'm not going to start something saying that I think what I think is true, like I believe these people did. They were using their own understanding, listening to something that Apollo said, and said, yeah, because I didn't hear Paul teach it like that. And this really hits home with me. And then they went off on their own minds thinking of what they thought that meant. When Paul is now saying, Paul and I are on the same page. We're looking at it from a different side. You can get more from listening to different people on the same thing, and it all meshes within the Spirit of God. The Spirit can teach, and then he goes on in verse 11, including the deep things, it says in verse 10, um, before I go on, and it does say the deep things, and that word deep there is the exact same word that we just were going through Sunday morning in Matthew 13, 5, um, that this, and on the stony place, it had no depth. So there, there are deep things of God. No matter how long you've been walking with God, you can read the Bible and say, yeah, I've read the Bible. <laughs> well, guess what? Read it again. You're going to find things you never knew were there. And, if you, and every time you read it, it's not just that there's things that weren't there. There's a new depth to it. He goes deep. And in the mind of, he, God says, I'm unknowable. Come find me. Come find me out. He goes, you're never going to know all of me. You'll never be bored searching for me. There'll always be more. And, un, and un, un, I guess it's not unfortunate, it's fortunate. But sometimes you'll read something and it contradicts something else that I knew. And then I'm sitting there thinking, how did I know that? And now I don't even remember where that came from. There's so many things in our past that taint our understanding of God. Godliness is next to cleansliness, or cleansliness is next to godliness. That's not scriptural, it's not in there. But there's things like that that you can think are there. And God has, is patient, and it might be the third or fourth or fifth time, or with me, about one baptism, the hundredth time. <laughs> Going over it, it'll finally sink in, and you'll finally get it. Just keep reading and reading, and it'll get deeper and deeper. God, verse 10, has revealed them to us through his Spirit, and the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So if you want to know if something's deep and the word's deep, he searches the deep things of God. How deep are the deep things of God? It takes God to know that. The Spirit of God is God. Verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world. That tells you there is a Spirit of the world. But the Spirit who is from God. The Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So to go against what I, <laughs> the deep things of God. So has anyone ever pondered or been in a discussion about the dichotomy or trichotomy of man? That's kind of like a deep thing of God. Well, some people will, I don't want to start causing a division here, but... <laughs> It's exactly what I'm teaching against, which that in and of itself can cause a division. So die is two, try is three. You get it? Okay, no, <laughs> it's more than that. So some people will say that man's a triune being. We're created in God's image. Some people will say that we actually were born with a dead spirit. So we're a trichotomy, and, and that dead spirit in us has to be awakened or to become alive. And to me, it's really a moot point. It doesn't, whatever 
that means and wherever it came from. I know what it means, a moot point. But anyways, or some people will say we're a dichotomy, which is kind of where I lead. So you're born spiritless. So you're a body and a soul. And then the, the Holy Spirit from God comes inside of you. I believe, I believe that's the truth. I believe in Genesis when Adam sinned. Um, he says, on the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. I believe the Holy Spirit left him, which is why Jesus said you must be born again. So the, the Holy Spirit comes in and completes what God had intended for man in the beginning to be created in his image. Uh, Adam was created in the image of God, and uh, that it said Adam had, he died spiritually, and, and then it says Adam had children in his likeness. So whatever likeness he was after that, all other humans were created um, so is it my spirit awakened or does the spirit come from God? It says here in verse 12, we have received the spirit who is from God, God himself in us, that we might know, which, you know, the, the God in us, the hope of glory, uh, the things that have been freely given to us by God. Isn't it nice to know that God gives us things for free? You know why it's important? Because we have nothing. <laughs> we couldn't purchase it. We have nothing to offer him. And I remember getting away from all music because I was big into music and it stumbled me and certain songs and groups would play and I would get scared once I got saved. Fear. There's a demonic source behind some things. Other things I could just listen to. Um, But it took a while and eventually I ended up, somebody gave me a Christian rock and I was able to listen to it, and I enjoy it now. And, um, but one of the songs, I, he was thinking, he was speaking to God, saying, God, I'm glad that I can't give you anything, because if I could then, or I, I can't earn it, because then I, if I could, I'd have to. I'm glad I can't. And I'm thinking, what do you mean you can't give God anything? And then another song basically says, you know, what are we going to give you, flowers? You made them. What are we going to give you, gold? You own everything. What, what do you have that you can give God? You talk about the rich guy that you know that's hard to buy a gift for. What, what, what is, God just wants you, and he created, he created you for that reason. And what we have to offer him, um, I remember Gail Irwin one time saying, the only thing God wants is your sin. He, he does an exchange. He says, just give it to me. It's in the way. He has things that he wants to give us. And uh, what a blessing this morning, just fellowshipping and praying with somebody after this morning's service that was broken, crying. And uh, it's exactly what God wants, an empty vessel to be able to fill. And it's, it's not, it shouldn't be embarrassing. It should, it should be, you should be thanking him. If that doesn't happen, then, then what does happen? What, what are we going to do? We're going to do it on our own? We need to... We need to come to him broken to let him fill us. And he freely gives things to us. Grace, right? By definition, you can't earn grace. If you could earn it, it's not grace. Grace is getting something you can't earn. Hallelujah. He knows us. In fact, he says, I know your frames. You're just dust. You might be impressed with yourself. He goes, I'm not expecting much. I know who you are. Jesus says he departed from all men because he knew what was in men. That was a good move. I think I'll walk away now. (laughs) I'll do something about this, though. He went to the cross. Verse 14, but the natural man, 
I think speaking of those causing division does not, and again, I, he talks about division in chapter one, I believe he does in three and in four. I think this whole thing is talking about what causes division. We, talked, we read it in James, it's people getting, thinking with their natural mind, coming to a natural conclusion by things that they don't understand spiritually. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Not only are they foolishness to him, he can, nor can he know them. It's impossible because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15 says, But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. That word... King James, but he who is spiritual judgeth, which obviously the E-T-H at the end, I don't know about you, I started out reading the King James and quickly switched, and now I kind of go back to it. I like it. Uh, once you get used to it, a verb, again, verb tenses are important. We meant, I started out that way. Uh, the E-T-H tells us it's, it, it's an ongoing verb. It, you know, when Jesus doesn't just love you, he loveth you. <laughs> He loves you and he keeps loving you. Um, but that word judgeth uh, in the Greek is actually men or M-E-N, and it means truly or verily or indeed. Um, yet himself is rightly judged by no one. That word judged there is anacrino, which means to examine or judge or to question. Two different words. It kind of flows. Um, I think... Uh, it's basically saying we should test spiritual things, not let people impose non-spiritual things upon us. Take it to the word. How do you know if somebody's saying and telling you something is true? Because it won't contradict the word of God. The Amplified Bible for that verse says, but the spiritual man, the spiritually mature Christian, judges all things. He questions, examines, and applies what the Holy Spirit reveals, yet is himself judged by no one, the unbeliever cannot judge and understand the believer's spiritual nature. David Guzik wrote, Paul is not saying every Christian is above criticism. After all, much of this letter is criticism. The point is clear. No natural man is equipped to judge a spiritual man. The Bible tells us to the Corinthian church, which we'll get to eventually, when they were taking things to court, he's like, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? You have, the Spirit of God is in you. Leviticus is a law. The author of that law is in you. We have a conscience, the Holy Spirit. We can sadden him. The law at work in your heart. What are you doing? We should be filled with joy. We should know when it goes away. We should be filled with peace. We should know when it goes away. Just walk with him. Don't let anything interfere with your relationship with him. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who can instruct God? How much of my prayer life is trying to instruct God? <laughs> That's not funny, Steve. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes we don't like things, and we complain. And God would rather have you complain than try to instruct them. God's not up there thinking, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, you should have told me. <laughs> I 
I've said it before. Sometimes we will, we ask, if God is good, then why? But our, our Christians should say, since God is good, then what does this mean? In, in light of the scripture, with God, Holy Spirit speaking to you, what's going on? And ultimately, when we don't like something, it's because we have a plan and God's not going according to the plan. And you can't come up with a plan on your own. You can't know God's plan for your life. He has to tell you. You can't figure it out. You might see evidence. You might see signs. You might hear a voice in a, in a leaning. Uh, as you mature, it says he wants to guide you with his eye. So you go by faith hoping. But you're not going to be able to figure it out. Some things just don't make sense because it's God. Why would God use foolish people to teach his word? In his wisdom, he chose to do that. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, right? In his wisdom, he decided to not use the wise of the world, but the foolish things of the world. God is really smart. I hope I say that every time I'm up here. I think I say it multiple times every time I'm up here. But guess what? God is really smart. And he's really patient. And he's really loving. He's a good, good father. So we have communion tonight. Rob, if you want to come up. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. It's impossible to know the things of God. It says in verse 15, but we have the mind of Christ. And sometimes we try to think things through and it doesn't make sense to us. And uh, I just thought of a well-known verse whenever we're talking about our heart. And Jeremiah comes up. Most people go right to that same verse. But in chapter 17, in verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Then he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And I just... We can't even know our own heart. We should be judging by the word of God, letting the, the word of God judge us. Romans 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And for communion, for as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. One body 
in Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, speaking of the body, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we're called to have the mind of Christ. He took his body and allowed it to be broken for the, the rest of the people, and we're to have that same mind, that same heart. Our life should be about others, about God and about others. And just like I mentioned last time, as we look at this wafer, and it supposedly represents the body of Christ, we're to think of him as we do this. And it's not just that it was broken, but it's also going in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, Father, we just thank you for not just your body here, present with us at this time, through your believers, but also the body that you allowed to be broken. You became human to become a lamb. And, and you showed us what love looked like, what it acted like, what it said. And we have that hope in us. We don't want to be restrained by our limitations of the flesh. Lord, we don't want to be immature Christians. We want to grow. We want what's in us to come out, the in us that's from you. So as we take this, Lord, we understand that that's what you died for. You died for that to take place. We don't want it to be in vain. Help us to not limit you, but to allow you in freely and to come out freely. Let's partake of the body. tells us in verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we know that the Bible teaches us that life is in the blood. Our immune system, our health, life itself is in the blood. And Jesus gave up his life so that we could have life. And as we look at what he did and what he made available to us. Again, we're taking that into our own being. And there's two natures now in me. And if, as it's been said, in the throne of your heart, there's a cross and a throne. And if I'm on the cross, that means Jesus is on the throne. If I put myself up on the cross, that means Jesus is on the throne. So we get to decide moment by moment, day by day, year by year, which spot do I want to be on? We know which spot he wants us to be on. We know which spot he chose. As we take this in, let's let that life change our life. So, Father, we just thank you that you didn't spare your own son so that you could have many. And we know that it wasn't in vain. So as we take this, we're asking you to allow your son's life to proceed out of us. Lord, proceed out of our heart. Change our heart. We know that we don't need more faith. We just need faithfulness. You've given us enough. We don't want to blame you that you somehow didn't do something, and now that's why we are the way that we are. You did everything we need for us to become who you want us to be. You've given us life. Thank you. Allow us to be broken, to repent, and to believe. Everything that you're 
son's blood attained on the cross. Let it come to pass, Lord. Let's partake. You are a good, good father. And you're not only a good father, you're a father who tells us what good is. We can't even know good without you. We can think things up in our head, but we cannot attain to the levels that you have. We can't do anything in and of our strength. Lord, you said without you, we can do nothing. Uh, as we come to agree with you more on that, uh, free us from the restraint that the law and sin and death have on our old man and uh, allow us to live in Christ and be free, to be joyful and to be thankful people because you've done a wondrous thing. So thank you for being good. We love you. Come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we long to see you face to face and we long for that day, Lord, we will hear the trumpet sound and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet you in the air. Lord, there's no greater thing to consider, no greater thing to thought, to think, no greater uh, thing that we long for, Lord. And so we just uh, pray that you bless us tomorrow, Lord, and bless us tonight, Lord, as we leave this place. Keep us safe and draw us closer to yourself. Um, tonight and tomorrow, Lord, always just continually draw us, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.